I sent my oldest son off to a youth retreat this weekend. He was hours away. And like at any time when I'm not with him, I really missed him. But with that great distance and for those several days, I was really feeling the disconnect. I'm so glad that he had his gab phone along. I was able to send him a quick text each evening to ask about his day and to tell him that I was praying for him. Have you heard of these things? The gab phones? That's gab, G-A-B-B. They look and feel a lot like a smartphone, but they aren't connected to the internet in any way. A user can call, they can text, take pictures, and even listen to music, but that's about it. With the Gab phone, I had peace of mind knowing that I could get a hold of my son all weekend, but that he didn't have access to the internet. And most importantly, the internet didn't have access to him. He wasn't scrolling social media or being sent shady photos from total strangers. He wasn't wasting time playing video games or being taken advantage of by cyber stalkers. If you too are interested in purchasing a regular cell phone that looks and feels like a smartphone for your kids, you can grab 30% off a Gab phone or a Gab watch right now. Head to GabWireless.com and use promo code mom to mom at checkout. That's capital letters. M-O-M-T-O-M-O-M. So once again, go to gabwireless.com and use promo code mom to mom Welcome to the mom to mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. Discipline when given in love and covered in grace and truth should lead to repentance, restoration, and right living. But for so many of us, disciplining our kids seems like a never-ending cycle of annoyance, frustration, and even anger. In fact, we don't even like the word discipline. We tend to say it in a whisper, hoping no one will hear us, because in our anything-goes culture, it makes us feel like a mean mom, or worse yet, an abusive mom. But what we need to remember is that discipline is a God idea. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives, Hebrews 12, 6 says. The trouble comes when we dole out discipline that perhaps stops the wrong behavior for the moment, but never actually reaches the heart. Our guests today are here to help us parent with confidence and love, even in the area of our discipline. I want to welcome Jim and Lynn Jackson to the show. They are the founders and leaders of Connected Families, an international parenting support ministry. Jim and Lynn have three grown children of their own, but have also spent years working with at-risk teens before forming an organization designed to help parents lead their children with grace. Welcome to the show, Jim and Lynn. Thank you. Good to be here. Yes, great to be with you. Now, I often hear the terms discipline and punishment used interchangeably, but they're actually not the same things, are they? No, not at all. Discipline, the the root of discipline is disciple or teach. So that's really the heart and the core of it. So I hear you saying disciple 
and and I've heard you use the term discipline that connects to the heart, but what does that mean? And is there a key ingredient for connecting to a child's heart that makes discipline more of a discipleship tool than just a quick fix solution to be able to, you know, like get through Walmart without a meltdown? <laughs> well, um, so discipline as we see it, is this effort that, as Lynn said, we, we put in place when our children have misbehaved, done what's not expected them or not done what is expected of them. And it's the, it's the things that we put in place as parents to help teach them, guide them, woo their hearts toward God's purposes, God's truths for life, uh, and ultimately grow them in an identity, not that you're a problem because you misbehave, but that you're able when you misbehave to make right to restore what you've made wrong. Mm. I've often heard it said that um, the struggles in a child's, you know, personality or their character, things that God is refining in them actually are strengths. It's just our job as parents to help mold that character to be used as a strength. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. We, we actually have sort of a term that we use off and on during our parenting materials of the gift gone awry. Mm. So, you know, if a child is struggling, um, they're not going to rely on their weaknesses to get what they want. They're going to tap into their strengths. So if you've got a really physical child, they might get aggressive. If you've got a child that's got high verbal skills, they're going to argue you to the floor. Um, if you have a child that's very sort of reads people well and is very social, they're going to tend to be a manipulator. So they're, they're using their strengths to get selfishly what they want. And if we just come down on that hard and discipline and criticize without acknowledging and giving um, and redirecting that strength towards honoring purposes, then, then we can kind of squash that mm -hmm. strength and not grow it towards uh, what God desires to use it for. So what I'm hearing you say is we should focus on their strengths and purposes, but when we're talking about disciplining, is it is it something that we do while we're in the moment of correcting our conflict or is it something we're doing in everyday life or is it something that you can do at the same time? September, we would say the answer to the question you've just asked is yes. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's about um, acknowledging in the ebbs and flows of everyday life the, the strengths that our kids have are, you know, our kids are built to be in Christ and to do good works. They're, they're miracles fashioned together in their mother's womb. And um, that's a vision, a truth that is important for us as parents to hold and be thoughtful about how we help our kids to grow in that vision. What our belief is, is that when kids misbehave, we may have some of our best opportunities to communicate some of the most important elements of God's grace and truth to them. Um, one of which is, you know what, you've got some strength right now. And the way you're using that strength is dishonoring. It, it, it's, it could be sin that we need to deal with and it's something that needs to be made right. But nonetheless, it's a strength. And uh, I, I think it might be helpful because this, this idea scrambles people an awful lot to, to go back, Jamie, to your example of being in Walmart and having, you know, some sort of a, a, a power struggle between a parent and a child at Walmart. Um, has this ever happened with the two of you? 
Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Many, many times. Yes, us too. So um, what we kind of like to do is set up the scenario and then play it out a little bit, sort of in the typical punitive-oriented manner of discipline uh, that parents often follow, um, and then sort of rewind it and look at it through a little bit different lens. So if we could, I would love to have one of you volunteer to be to be, uh, do you want to be the parent or do you want me to today, Lynn? Oh, I can do it, whatever. Okay. If you're so, eager, go for it. <laughs> uh, no, Lynn is going to be the parent. Uh, what, you pick the age of the child you want to play, Jamie, or or whoever. I would is love it, to be a toddler. I think I could play that role well. So, Let's try that. So Jamie's going to play about a three or four-year-old. You're at Walmart. The three or four-year-old is in the cart or are they not? They're in the cart. In the cart, uh, the see something they want. What really, is it that you want? Jamie? Really bad. What is that thing? I want a Little Mermaid figure. Oh, and why do you want this so bad? Because my friend Sally has a Little Mermaid figure. Okay, perfect. So, so Jamie wants a Little Mermaid, just like her friend Sally. She's sitting in the cart. M Lynn, the mom, is you're pushing the cart through. You're on a mission. You've got a list. You've got some stuff. You've got to be productive and efficient here. Uh, you don't really have time today. And you told Jamie, even before you came into the store, Jamie, today is not a day that we're here to shop for you, honey. This is a day where mommy has some things that we need to do. Um, unwittingly, mommy, Jamie, uh, 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 Lynn has strolled past that, that place in Walmart where they have prominently displayed the Little Mermaid stuff, knowing that lots of little kids like Jamie want one of these and can maybe have a public tantrum right there at Walmart by which mom gives in and, and lets the child have it just this once if you promise to behave the next time. <laughs> so we're gonna pick up this role play where Lynn is strolling past that end cap and on a mission. And in an, and responding in sort of a default accidental parenting kind of a way. Yep. Let's see what happens and then pick it apart a little bit. So, yep. so you two take off with this role play. So you go ahead and start getting demanding. Mommy, I want that little mermaid. You see it's over there. Can I have it? Mommy. I see it. We're, Mommy. We we're, we've got a whole list of things to get just maybe another time. Not now. But Mommy, you said the last time that we were here that we would be able to get one. Jamie, I did not say that. I did not ever promise you that we were going to get Little Mermaid. Now just settle down and we got to keep going. I've got some, some things to get for the small group tonight. So be but, quiet. But mommy, Sally has one and she plays with it at daycare. Jamie, I said, settle down. This is not okay. Mommy, I want a Little Mermaid doll. You don't understand. Why can't I have a Little Mermaid? Jamie, you are so good. <laughs> it's like I've heard that before. Maybe you bring daddy in here. <laughs> uh, so this is good. And, and, you know, this could go on. And sometimes parents will take it to the, you know, you're never going to get one of those if you keep this up. Or are you going to need to, do I need to take you to the car to discipline you? Or, uh, you know, any number of different things. But now let's, let's, uh, let's view this, uh, first of all, through the lens of the parent. Um, if you're Lynn and you're trying to accomplish some goals with, with your daughter, Jamie, what are the goals you're trying to accomplish at a time like this? Expediency. Expedience. Getting to the next item on the list of Getting things to, to do. Yeah. And what are you hoping that I will learn? Yeah. What are you trying, what are your goals for me as a child or for you as a child? 
flipping the role. Yeah, if you're the for parent, what goals do you have for your for, child for to learn Jamie. at a time like this? I think immediately would be obedience in my mm -hmm. head, but there's yeah. probably deeper underlying things. But in the moment, I just want her to obey um, so that I can get in and out quickly. Yeah, so uh, interesting that you put those two things together. I want her to obey so that I can have my way. That's yeah. what you just said. Yeah, and that's I very typical. That's very typical. And when we do this as parents, we justify it because it's the right thing to do. It's immediate obedience. But let's just say um, that Jamie complies with mom and decides to be quiet. Uh, what did she just learn? And this is the question we really want to dig into with parents and invite parents to think about a little more deeply than they typically do based just on the, the compliant behavior of their children. But if you're Jamie and Jamie complies right now or not, um, what are the messages about who you are that you just learned from your mommy? Jamie, right now in this moment, you are blank. Well, I think I would begin to equate mommy's feelings for me based on whether I obey or not. And is she happy with me because I obeyed or disappointed if I don't? So Jamie, your value comes from obedience. Um, even shorter, like Jamie, right now in this moment, you are, September, you're laughing. So, uh, what is that? <laughs> I, you know, I'm just thinking of, from both sides of this. And I think I've had my kids tell me, um, you know, well, when I want, you know, when I say this, I feel like I'm annoying you, or I feel like I'm an inconvenience, or I feel like you're ignoring me. Yeah, right. Mm, and so, great. so Jamie, you're annoying, you're an inconvenience, you're a problem, you're a disobedient child, your approval is based on your behavior. Um, these are messages that that if if this way of interacting with our children when they misbehave becomes habitual, begins to communicate messages of identity to our children. They start to embrace these notions as as a, a as who they are. Now, a four-year-old can't um, maybe be very articulate about that, but September, you just said your kids sometimes reflect this back to you, and so I think it's important for us as parents to learn to pay attention to the messages our kids are getting by even our well-intentioned efforts to discipline them at times like this. Because if it becomes a habit, as I said, then it starts to form identity into the children. So what we've done, Lynn and I, over the course of the last 20 plus years uh, is work with uh, you know, thousands of parents um, in a way that, that shifts the focus of disciplinary activity, <laughs> disciplinary efforts from getting kids to behave right away to helping kids to believe properly about who they are, about what's God's truth, what's God's grace. So um, we, we invite parents to make this shift uh, from gaining immediate behavior uh, to an obedience to imparting uh, a more thoughtful set of you are messages, messages of identity to our children's in the context of discipline. So if you think about that as, as parents and even representing your listeners, you, you know what they would say if we ask the question, so parents, what are the messages about them, messages of identity that you want your children to go away from 
your home believing is true about them someday? What are those? Child, you are blank. Loved. You're loved. Accepted. Valued, accepted. Unique. Unique. Fearfully and wonderfully made, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are all messages like the the primary foundational messages we want to get across as parents but you yourself said that a four-year-old probably is not going to be able to articulate how they feel when when discipline happens or after discipline how can you break that down into let's say age categories for us are there stages to discipline um obviously i would assume you wouldn't discipline a toddler in the same way that you would discipline a teenager, but the end goal is the same. So Mm -hmm. what does that look like in the brass tacks of different ages? Well, it's really interesting because the way we lay out discipline, it transfers really well in terms of paradigms and perspectives and messages that we're talking about. So we've sort of narrowed it down uh, to four key messages that apply from toddlers to teens, to Mm -hmm. young adults. And those messages are, you are safe with me. Uh, I'm going to look at my own baggage and what's going on in my heart so that I'm not um, intimidating you or scaring you or overwhelming you or manipulating you. I'm going to be responsible before the Lord of what I'm, what is going on in my own heart so that you feel safe with me. And then a second message is you are loved no matter what. And that's where the gospel just comes to life in the midst of discipline situations, which are, they then the discipline situations become a potent opportunity to really have God show up and um, take that intense emotional time and use it for his good purposes. So you are loved no matter what. You're safe with me. You're loved no matter what. Um, we call those the nest of grace. Uh, but then we move on to guide and train our child. And so the, the following two of the last two of four messages are you are called and capable. And this is that fearfully and wonderfully made for God's purposes message. And then you, the last one is you are responsible for your actions to make right what you've made wrong. And those four messages can guide a parent once they learn those and they're, it's like they become integrated into their heart, their thinking, it can guide them whether they've got mm-hmm. a three-year-old, a 13-year-old, or a 30-year-old, yeah. or they're dealing with their adult, their, their aging parents, right, honey? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually true. This, this framework that we're sharing with you of four messages, uh, we've, we've learned over time is actually applicable in really the context of all human relationships. I was actually talking today with a pastor who's planting a church and wondering, how could I put these four messages in the ethos of the community we grow together? Um, but so, Jamie, you're right. The, the, the youngsters, the three, the four-year-olds, they can't put words to this, but that doesn't mean their little spirits aren't receiving and, and beginning to identify according to the way that they're treated. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite a rerun of the role play um, whereby it's Lynn's primary job, not Jamie, to get you to behave immediately and properly, 
Um, not, the, not that she loses sight of that. I think it's important to not lose sight of that, but that's no longer her primary goal. Her primary goal in the second role play will be to communicate to you these four potent messages. You're safe with me. You're loved no matter what. You're called, you're capable. And you, know, you can't unpack theology at a time like this. So we might narrow that to the message of you're capable for the moment. Uh, and then you are responsible. <clears throat> And so um, there's no right or wrong way for parents to do this. It needs to be unique to the parent, unique to the child, unique to the blend of personalities, the timing, the moment. But what we found is that when parents are able to distill their efforts down to thinking through this lens of messages, um, that, that they end up being far more satisfied with their work as parents. And that's really what we're after here, not better behaved children, but parents who feel like their efforts are more rooted and grounded in God's grace and truth. So let's, let's run the role play again and uh, pick it up right where you see the, the doll across the place and, and Lynn will respond. Watch uh, September, I'm gonna quiz you about this when it's over. At, well, I'll quiz both you and Jamie. Watch for these four messages. How did they show up? So role play on. Mommy, mommy, look, it's the little mermaid that I saw the other day. Do you see it? Oh, I do. You love little mermaid, don't you? I, I do. Can we get it, mommy? I really want it. Oh, well, you know what? I know you want it. I know you love it. And you know what I love about you? That you love really imaginative, creative play. But it's not time right now. We've got a list. Um, and I'm going to move on to the next thing. But when we get home, we'll talk about maybe how you could do some things to help around the house. And then um, we could get... Uh, maybe we could get it next time. So I can't get it, mommy. I can't get it today. Uh, not today, hon, but we'll make a plan for how you could work hard and get yourself a little mermaid. I love that you love little mermaid. It's part of the cool way God made you. It makes me sad, mommy, that I can't get it today. I know. I get sad when I don't get things I want to. Do you want a hug? Yes. Let me see those beautiful eyes of you. I love you. Do you want a hug? Yes. Okay. <laughs> wow. Again, some sometimes we do these role plays and people are like, well, if, if, if that was my child, she would never have responded the way Jamie did. She would keep mm -hmm. fighting until she had her way or uh, until I had to carry her out of the store. Parents will say this frequently. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I'll say, well, I, I, that may be true. The question isn't how they behave. The question is what messages... Are they getting from you while they're misbehaving? It doesn't mean they get the doll. It means you may need to leave if, if they're uh, continuing to act in a way that's not fitting for the store. Um, but the question is, what messages did you get? September, I'm going to ask you first. What did you see? What messages did Lynn deliver to Jamie just there? Well, first, I just want to say that Jamie had me totally convinced she was a toddler. <laughs> I, was feeling, I was feeling so sad for you, Jamie. And I really wanted that little mermaid. <laughs> and, and so I feel like she could totally convince me that she truly was sad. But I felt that Lynn truly conveyed that she was special and that she um, was loved and she was not being ignored and that um, you know she would pay attention to the issue when she got home, that it wasn't being put on the back burner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
How about you, Jamie? Messages you got from Lynn that begin with the words, Jamie, right now in this moment, you are. I felt heard. You are heard. Mm -hmm. I felt seen that my, I don't want to say pain, but to a child that feels like pain, I want this and I can't have it. And mom's not letting me have it. So I felt like my pain was acknowledged. It wasn't just dismissed and looked over. You're understood. Yeah. You're valued. You're heard. Mm -hmm. You're seen. You matter. One of the things that I, in in just like thinking about that role play and thinking about those four components that those four messages, the thing that really stands out to me is I feel like it puts the right responsibility onto the parent without also putting blame and onto the child. It gives the child some of the responsibility but removes the blame. I feel like it helps both parties own up to their role or their part in this possible, you know, clash of the titans. The mom isn't putting shame onto the child because that's something that I've learned. You know, anytime we try to produce change from a lens of shame, that's not sustainable. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to change anyone's heart. Shame comes from the enemy. God is not the author of shame. And so often I think as parents, that's kind of our, our go-to is to shame them. And so then on top of, you know, the training or the discipline, we're also dumping an additional punishment of shame. So I didn't hear any of that in what Lynn was saying. And I felt because of that, as a child, then I could own up to my own responsibility in, okay, I, I'm not getting this doll today, but mom has said that I can, we'll talk about it later. And she's seeing me and hearing me and knowing me. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and sometimes in that situation, and I didn't think of it till afterwards, but, but a, a thing that really communicates you're capable and responsible is, you know, if we rewound it, I would go, oh, Jamie, let's take a picture of it. And what, what, it'll be on my phone and we'll talk about how you could work to get it when we get home. Mm-hmm. So it's very concrete and it really communicates to a concrete little one. Mom's taking a picture of this thing I want. So I'm pretty convinced that we're going to make a plan. And even a three-year-old can do extra chores <laughs> to earn something um, and begin to teach that value mm-hmm. of hard work. So it's a capable, responsible message. Mm-hmm. And you're addressing something we've actually talked about at length here on the podcast in that, you know, in the realm of a toddler and their needs and their wants, you're setting an example to your three-year-old that I'm listening to your needs at three. And I'm a firm believer, and I know September is too, if you can't listen to a three-year-old's needs, they're not going to trust you with their needs at 13 or 33. And like you said, taking a picture of it or doing something concrete to really um, show lead by example, that what that three-year-old says matters to you, that's going to be something that will carry over and through the rest of your relationship. And I think that's the key component that you're trying to get across that the messaging is the same, no matter what age, um, it's just at different stages because of, you know, their cognitive capabilities. Yeah, you got it. And mm-hmm. and we talk a lot about influence. What does it take for parents to have the sort of influence that that sort of sticks in the hearts of their children, even when mom and dad aren't around? Uh, and when we can start to help our kids develop, you know, thinking around these messages of identity, 
they're much more likely when we're not around to make choices internally motivated by a knowledge of who they are, uh, which is what they're going to do regardless of what the messages are. So if the message they're getting is you're not responsible, you're a pain, you're a problem, you're difficult, um, we wonder why when we're not with them and they behave that way that they do it. Well, it's because they're starting to believe that that's who they are. And then we, we punish them for it, which is really, you use the word shame, Jamie. Punishment is really just this painful, negative thing that I do to my child uh, in order to motivate them to, to do the right thing or not do the wrong thing. Um, and it can even work in terms of shaping behavior, but it doesn't gain influence uh, to the child's heart unless we start to think in terms of what are the messages of value that begin with the words you are, are my, are, are my children getting from me when I disciplined them? Imagine the world change that would take place if we moms did the knee-bending work of prayer for our homes. If we spent just as much time praying as we do providing perfect childhoods, perfect days, perfect dinners. Our kids need perfection, that's true, but it won't ever be found in us. That's a gift only Jesus can lavish on them. If Kate, September, and I could encourage you in just one thing, it would be prayer. Nothing will be more powerful in the life of your kids and in your relationship with them than bringing them to the throne of the all-powerful one who can move heaven and earth on their behalf. To help direct your thoughts to specific prayer points found in Scripture, we've put together a month-long series of prayer cards called 30 Days of Prayer for My Child. Each card contains a prayer theme, a verse that correlates with that theme, and a brief sample prayer to help you call upon God to be faithful to His Word in light of your kids. To grab a set of your own, head to September & Co. Shop on Etsy. Pray for your kids today, because if you're not praying for them, who will be? So I want to throw in an example that's fresh off the presses from my email this morning. <laughs> and it's kind of a funny example. It's a five-year-old that has picked up, um, she might even be six now because she's been doing this for quite a while. She picked up the F-bomb from, <laughs> from her schoolmates and says this regularly. And the mom was you know, you were talking about punishment and discipline, and it's not like we never take away privileges or anything like that, but there's a, a difference in the heart between punishment and discipline. So the mom would sometimes, you know, confront her daughter and say, this is not okay. What else could you say? You're going to lose dessert. That seems like random, unrelated punishment. Um, she might, on the other hand, talk about what kind of, you know, what kind of friendships do you want to make now that we've moved into a new neighborhood and you're going to start meeting kids? What kind of friendships do you want to make? And how can we be sure that when you first meet people, you get started in a really good way? And how could we practice that around the house so that you're ready to meet your new friends? Mm. And when I see that you're practicing helpful, kind words, then we'll, we'll start to set up some play dates. So you see it's, there's a removal of privilege in both situations. One was unrelated, angry punishment sweets. The other was, we're gonna 
wait to start to connect. The, the privilege of friends will be on hold until I know that you can be respectful when you're with them. And I'm going to do everything I can to set you up for success in the meantime. Does that make sense? Because I don't want us to be misunderstood as we never take away privileges. We never do anything the child doesn't like. Um, but our heart is always for our child. They can sense the relationship between what we're maybe putting on hold um, as a way to help them learn the things that they need to treat that privilege well. Hmm. That's good. So that's where consequences fit into discipline. Mm -hmm. That's how that fits into discipline itself. For certain. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the first layer of consequences that we invite parents to think about, Lynn is referencing it even here. When you use words that are disrespectful and dishonoring, you know, the, the imposed consequence is you can't be with friends unless you can show that you can be honoring. But the, the not like if so, what would happen if you went out and used disrespectful words with those friends? Is that how God wired you to to be with people? And what happens when we use dishonoring words with other people? And, you know, a five year old might say, I don't know. I don't know. Well, do you think that their mommy would want you to play with them if you used the words like that? Or do you think maybe she would go, no, we won't have a play date with Jamie today because I'm afraid she'll say those words around my kids. Which do you think would be the case? She'd want you to play with them or maybe she'd be worried about you playing with them? She'd be worried. Yeah, I think that's right. Mm -hmm. So what could you do to help her not be worried? Talk mean to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> you could go practice some silly mean words in the in the bathroom right now where nobody could hear us and then we can practice other ones sometimes it just slips because oh, everybody no. is using those words i know it's hard isn't it it's how hard. can i help you practice different ways so you can play with your friends and their parents will be happy about that i want them to be i don't know okay well we'll keep thinking and I'm asking the Lord to help us, okay? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So there's, play over. <laughs> so there's, so there's, but that's, so God can't be mocked. We reap what we sow, it says in Galatians 6, 7, I think. Um, so often as parents, when we are working to help our kids understand the consequences of their misbehavior, we don't really teach them about those consequences, the, the reap what we sow consequences. We teach them about the punishment we're going to put in place when they misbehave. Um, but if we tie it to character, if we tie it to honoring God and honoring other people, if we help our kids understand what happens when we behave that way, if mommy and daddy don't do or say a thing or even see it happen, now we're equipping them with a lens of wisdom for life rather than a lens of fear about whether I get caught. Mm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. I want to back up just a teeny bit because I know we have listeners coming to our podcast episodes that this is all new. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't something that they started from the beginning and they have a toddler. In fact, just yesterday, actually, I was in the store. It wasn't Walmart, but it was a store. And there was a toddler with another parent and that toddler um, cried, yelled, kicked, screamed through the whole store. And I said these words out loud to myself as I was shopping. Um, I, I said, boy, that child is very unhappy. And I was feeling bad for the parent. I was feeling bad for the toddler, you know, and I wanted to encourage the parent, but I think, 
I think it's important for those that are coming from this point today, listening to hear maybe that a lot of this um, role-playing or this teaching and this training and these values begin at home every day. And to try something, you know, this approach in the middle of the store with a child that's unaccustomed to thinking that way and expecting that role-playing uh, model that we shared to just diffuse immediately, um, I think we would want to encourage them to back up and try these things at home so that you don't find yourself in that situation maybe as often and um, your child is used to this frame of thinking and speaking to one another. Yeah, for sure. It's a step-by-step, little-by-little um, shift. But at the same time, um, it starts with uh, acknowledging I've been focusing primarily on behavior. I want to focus primarily on identity, beliefs. Um, I want to mentor. Messages. I, I want to, through, through, the, through thinking about these four messages, and I mean, there's lots of messages we could land on that would be proper and biblical. Um, Lynn and I have found that these four messages of identity have just really helped parents make that very shift that you're talking about. It's like, oh yeah, my goal isn't immediate behavior change. It's, it's imparting a new set of messages to my child while keeping them accountable as, as part of that process, like you saw Lynn do in that role play. I think one of the things I heard right away in the first role play is that there were some clear expectations set. Like I was told, little Jamie was told, this is what we're going to do. We don't have time today to look at that or look at this. We have a list. And I think that is, if, if I'm being really honest, a lot of my own personal problem when I get in those scenarios, it's, it's not that my kid is being ridiculous. It's that I haven't really set a framework for what this is going to look like. I haven't put out the, the boundaries or um, listed out, you know, the, the, their responsibility and my responsibility. I haven't really been very forthcoming. And then in my head, I know how I want the scenario to play out, but I haven't voiced that to them. Right. Yeah, how we lay out and make clear our expectations is a huge piece of helping parents get where they want to go. So um, even if it's one thing, we're going into the store and today is a day where we're going to shop for mommy's list. And if there's something that you want, you can tell me about it, but you know, we, we're not going to get it today. Today isn't the day. Right? Look at me and tell me what I just said, honey. So I know that you heard it. Yeah. Oh, you heard it. You listen, you are capable. Now we're in the store a little bit later and here's the doll and, uh, and you, and, and you can literally as a parent say, what, oh, this is hard for you. Remember what, remember what, what I said before we came in? Do you remember? I can't get my things today. Oh, that's great. You remembered, you listened so well. It's hard, isn't it? And now you just communicate the message. Hey, you listen and you're capable and this is hard. And I get what it's like to be you and you're not going to get the thing. <laughs> right. Well, you've written an entire book on discipline called Discipline that connects with your child's heart. And now you have a course with that same title to help parents learn how to reach the hearts of their children. So you've dedicated much of your lives these last few years to the idea of discipline. Can you tell us why and what was the impetus for that? Mm. Well, that's a deep question. <laughs> I think it's because we've seen so many well-intentioned Christian mm -hmm. parents losing their kids because of what happens in discipline. 
And when emotions are high, the brain lays down those memories as important because they're tagged with emotional labels. And so the things that happen in discipline can be really important in defining relationship. And if a child feels like the parent is just being controlling, selfish, but um, disguising it in Christian terms, like I'm just teaching you to be obedient to me. So you'll be obedient to God. When the child senses, this is really about just, you want to be in control all the time. Don't you mom or dad, then that tends to harden kids' hearts towards, um, you know, the ultimate source of obedience. Mm-hmm. So we saw parents struggling so much with this issue. In fact, we wrote a whole book on parenting that had a lot of proactive things in it. And then the last section was about discipline. People went, we need more on this. So that's how we wrote our second book, Discipline That Connects With Your Child's right. Heart, because people were struggling a lot. And it's so important for kids to see our love for them when they misbehave yeah. the, the worst. Yeah, I was working with high-risk teenagers in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And um, and I saw so many teens come to us uh, who, who were labeled high-risk now, coming out of fairly decent homes with well-intentioned parents uh, who would say to us things like, you know, my child was doing really well until they were 10 or 11 and then, and then the lid blew off all at once. But as I learned to dig into and observe what had happened, it wasn't that the lid came off all at once. It was that for a whole season of that child's young life, the parent had enough personal power over the child to manipulate that child into behavior that looked like it was good behavior, but it was a compliant heart. It wasn't an obedient heart in that child. And so now the child gets enough personal power of their own to challenge the parents. And there's power struggles of all kinds. And the parents would come to me and say, man, I don't know what to do to make this stop. And I mean, we would do the best we could to engage with parents at that point because it's important and necessary and how do these four messages work there? But we knew, Lynn and I both, that the most important work um, had sort of already happened and the parents had, with good intentions, had missed their best opportunity to start thinking this way early and often. And we, we, uh, somewhere back in there, read a book. uh, It was actually an organizational management book about change and, and there was a little phrase on one of the pages, you know, that stands out. And the the phrase was, when we are in our, um, when we're in crisis, our most deeply held frameworks emerge. There's actually a body of research, the book quoted to show how that's true in a a number of different settings. Um, We recognize that that's true in parenting. So when these parents and these kids who are teenagers are locked in power struggles, we're watching frameworks emerge that have taken years to develop and they're frameworks that are now fueled by resentment and by anger and by bitterness on both par- both parties, you know, parents toward their kids. How dare my kid think this way and act this way after all I've done for them. And kids, my, kid, my parent never listens to me and they don't give a, you know, they don't give a, and I, I mean, I heard the bad language around that. Um, and that's, it broke our hearts. Like, and what could we do to, to, to get upstream and to help parents understand that your most deeply held frameworks are not about your methods for parenting. It's about, it's about taking captive to the obedience of Christ, your, your motives, your thoughts, your history as a parent from where you came from. How, how are those deeply held frameworks contributing to your quick obedience parenting right now? And is it or is it not helping you gain the kind of relationship of influence with your child that you want it to or not? And the answer was often not. And so we started to develop these tools. 
So Lynn, you had said your first book was um, filled mostly with very proactive things, and then the last chapter was on discipline. But I think in in hearing you today, really those proactive things are the discipline. You know, you're setting yourself up um, with reaching the heart of your kids and being able to carry on a a conversation with them, even in the mid- middle of crisis, because you've established that good conversational connection. And so oftentimes, even just what we said at the very beginning of this episode, there really is a difference between discipline and punishment. One is very proactive and one is just simply reactive. Mm-hmm. So tell right. us a little bit about your ministry, this Connected Families, and how can our listeners find you? Well, we first uh, organized officially in 2002, but we've been teaching parents since about 1994, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, in 2002, we incorporated into a ministry. I'm an occupational therapist. Jim worked with um, at-risk teens, as he said. So we brought into our ministry a desire to bring together the beauty of the gospel and Christian faith with a really grace-filled kind of insightful mm-hmm. way of helping kids, especially those kids that really struggle. Yep. And so that was our foundation. And over the years, it's just built momentum till now we have about 12 staff and we're in lots of different countries virtually. Yeah. And um, we have numerous online courses, which actually are a good example of what you've said about being proactive. We have a course on entitlement that teaches parents not how to come down on entitlement, but how to build in kids a desire for hard work mm-hmm. and service and how to build in them the values that oppose materialism. So it's really about being proactive. Um, we have a course on questions that's very similar and helping kids think things through outside of that immediate con- conflict so that they approach life with biblical wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, you can find us at connectedfamilies.org. We're organized to do everything that we can to care for parents by inviting them to receive and pass on God's grace and truth. And the way we do it is by imparting these four principles found in a framework that we teach. It's a, a refrigerator magnet you can get on our website. We have, like Lynn said, online courses that are organized around all these ideas. But at the end of the day, our best hope is that parents can take this little refrigerator magnet that we share that's got this framework of four actions parents can take and four messages they can communicate with their kids and that it impacts their relationship with their kids in life transforming ways. Mm. That was wonderful. Discipline is a God-designed method of discipleship. And when doled out with love and mercy and grace, it can be an excellent tool that can reach the heart, not just the actions of a child. Thank you so much, Jim and Lynn, for joining us today. This was so extremely helpful and encouraging. If you'd like to know more about how you can lead your kids with grace, be sure to head to connectedfamilies.org. And one last thing before we go, we want to invite you to join us live and in person. We're taking the show on the road by joining the team of Teach Them Diligently. We've still got two more meetups happening in Round Rock, Texas from April 22nd through the 24th and Mobile, Alabama from May 6th through the 8th. And we'd love to have you join us. Head to the show notes to learn more about how you can be a part of our live studio audience.